Hello and welcome to the Informal Stories podcast, where we chat with our fellow worker members here at Informal Systems. We're your hosts, Sean and Yelena, and today we are joined by Soraz Chen. Soraz is a Rust engineer here on the IBCRS team, where he focuses most of his efforts on testing, as well as working on the Hermes Relayer. Soraz, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Yeah, hi, Sean. Hi, Yelena. I'm doing good. And uh, how are you doing today, Yelena? I'm doing well. I um, have been pretty busy this morning. We're actually planning a move, uh, my husband and I, to LA. So a little busy with personal stuff, but yeah, <laughs> excited to be here. What's with people moving to LA? Like you, Ariane, <laughs> and the... Was this influenced by Ariane moving there? I think, I think partially, but honestly, I just miss the sun. I miss the weather. Toronto's can be very gray. Although, I don't know, our other Toronto members, they, they don't seem to complain as much as I do. So I think it's a personal thing. Um, the sun is really important when you live somewhere like Toronto. <laughs> no, that's fair. Long. It's just, it's just funny because yeah. I, I moved to Chicago from LA. We were there for like five years and now a bunch of people are moving yeah. there. Come back. Why don't we come back? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what about you, Soros? Um, whereabouts are you located? Yeah, for me, I'm in Germany, and yeah, spring just started, so. Not not too dreary where you are in, in Germany? Yeah, there's a, it's very sunny, and uh, everything is starting to be less depressing. Cool. Um, so let's kick it off like how we usually do. So Soraz, I want to give you kind of a chance to just kind of tell us about, you know, your background, how you came to be working here at informal doing what you do and yeah what's kind of the story there yeah so yeah um very very excited to be talking here so yeah um, i'm soros and i work in the in the ipcrs team at informal so what i work on is mainly on the hermes ipc relayer and yeah so my main interest is in functional programming and also type theory and one of the reasons why I joined Informal was that um, I was um, looking into uh, Rust jobs, and then I saw Informal's uh, advertisements on the on the jobs. Yeah, so so I, I heard about Informal's offering on and and also saw about the formal verification things, which is also related to my interest. So that's how I applied, and I end up here. So yeah, and and apart from programming, actually, like the other reason why uh, why I'm at Informal is also because like recently I um, at that time I started looking into blockchain. I finally, realized um, some interesting things about how blockchain works, and also I'm also have interest in macroeconomics and monetary theory. So that also um, got me interested in seeing how it can be applied differently in the real world. And I saw Cosmos as a, a very suitable place that I can potentially make use of like my, my knowledge. Yeah, it's interesting because it sounds like your interests kind of lie at like the perfect cross-section of, of everything that we do here at Informal. So that's pretty perfect. <laughs> 
I like to ask people this, but do you think you ever ha- had like an aha moment? Like, wow, th- this stack or this technology is like the perfect way to build the things you're interested in. Um, and like, what what was that aha moment for you? Like, mm-hmm. maybe on a more personal level? Yeah, so, uh, so I, I suppose you, you're talking about the blockchains, aha moment. Yes. <laughs> so, so I agree, um, I, when I, I first um, heard about Bitcoins, like during, um, I think 2011 or 2012. So at that time, actually, like the reason I didn't really got into it was that I was also, um, researching on my own. Yeah. So, so basically I found out about, uh, how money works at that time. And my conclusion was that, um, it's not about the gold standard, which the Bitcoin maximalist at that time was advocating for. So that's how I didn't pay attention at that time. And then um, as time goes by, I try to understand blockchain again and again, numerous times through many, many different technologies, many different kinds of blockchains, such as uh, Hyperledger and Cardano. And I think at that time was also that the explanation on blockchain was not clear enough for me, especially from a technical point of view. So it was only until um, two years ago, so before I joined Informal, I was actually looking at uh, the Cardano explanation video about some use cases on Cardano. And I suddenly realized that um, the actual value of blockchain was that um, it can be viewed as a what I'll call a internet of IOUs, which means that if you have um, all kinds of IOUs that represent some obligations that can be represented on a same machine or the same state, then you can use it to create all kinds of economics value and economics transactions, which I think is uh, what can actually bring value to blockchains. So that's how I applied and found out more about Cosmos, which of course also matched the expectation and also include a lot of new things that I didn't know about. So. It's an exciting journey. And even even today, I'm still learning quite a lot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting how certain blockchain architectures, um, like layer ones, I guess, uh, attract certain political philosophies. You know, you, you were talking about 2011, 2012, Bitcoin, gold standard, and then like now, 10 years later, I guess, and Cosmos and like these local money or you know, applications or however you, you want to define it, obviously, at, like at Informal, we're just now starting to build up the collaborative finance team. But I think um, it's important. I've always kind of thought about this. It's really important to be intentional about how those philosophies diverge or align with those technologies. Otherwise, we might start building something that ends up becoming very um, destructive, like, I don't know, centralized social media companies like Facebook or many other examples. So I, I like how you painted that, um, path, I guess for us. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I also lived through like the web 2.0 era. And I think there, there was like a, a lot of different, a lot of things that didn't turn out that was expected to. And I think like current cosmos and blockchains provide us an opportunity to correct at least some of those mistakes. And, and yeah, one thing that I got me excited with Cosmos is also that it has 
a very different philosophy as compared to all the other blockchains, especially on this uh, interoperability end and also like um, the sovereignty that allows you to like be allows anyone to create their own blockchains that's sovereign and also at the same time allows them to communicate. This I think is uh, one of the most exciting things about Cosmos. So on that note, talking about how or what these new technologies that we're you know helping to shepherd and work on will facilitate in the future, like how I'm curious, like how much are you bought into like Ethan's vision and like the picture that he paints? Like, do you, are you pretty aligned with that, or are you kind of like are there some differences there, or do you have like this totally different picture that you kind of paint in your head? Yeah, I think um, I think what I can see is pretty close to Ethan's vision, and and a lot of um, what I currently think of the future is also like influenced by Ethan and also many other influencers that um that gets me give me a better picture on what the real potential of blockchains can be. So I think maybe like there are probably even more application that we can think of. Maybe that will be far into the, the future, but. I also see something that maybe in 10 years or 20 years, there'll be also a lot of different things that we have not even begin discussing. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, your actual experiences working here at Informal. Um, I think most people would agree that working here is pretty different from other places that we've all worked at. So kind of like, what's your experience with that? Like, what are... What were the things that were different from working here versus working at your previous places? And in fact, you know, what were some of the previous places you worked at like, and what were those cultures like, and how does that compare to working here at Informal now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can say that um, working at Informal has been one of the best decisions in my life. And right now, it's actually I have been working here for almost a year now. Um, at next next month will be my one year anniversary. And yeah, it it exceeds all my expectation, and I think like this this is uh the ideal place, the the kind of great dream company that I dream of, but mm. I didn't expect that I could get it here. But it's it's very I'm very happy to to be here. So as about comparing to different the my previous experience, I think like the way informal works. And also, like the kind of interaction is uh is is quite different, especially on like caring about individual employees or members. So, and I I already got that impression even during the interviews. So I remember one of the questions was asked was that, what do I really want to achieve in five years, and what do I really want? And and to me, like I, I never heard of that question from any other companies. And there was like one of the signs that that uh, shows that uh, Informal really cares about its employees. Actually, I'm coming from a more from a Asian work culture, and so there are a lot of difference in the the way things work, especially like that is is more of a top down approach. Where you receive, you receive instructions from your, from the manager, and then you kind of have to agree to do it, and you can't really disagree with anything. Mm -hmm. So after I joined Informal, I actually have to 
like unlearn a lot of things or a lot of habits that um, even if I disagree, I would still uh, unconsciously practice it. So one of the things is like learn helplessness, which is like to, to learn to be like helpless about different kinds of situation. But at informal, I, uh, as, as time goes by, I realized that uh, I can actually do more than just listening to others. And I start to feel empowered. So that's one of the very uh, exciting things. I um, I just love this topic because, um, you know, I think we're so used to, like like you said, as far as like these habits or we, we form these habits based on like what we know um, from previous work experiences. Um, and, and I mean, I think that's okay. Um, it's all just, uh, I don't know, it's a relative exercise of like just what works for you and like where are you in your life and what will serve you in that in that period stage in your life. And I think being very intentional about those um, like needs is something I talk a lot about, like even just outside of work, like with my brothers or with my friends or even my, like my mom like comes to me for advice now, which is so funny, like about her career at this big bank in Canada. Um, and like, I think it is though important, like, that conversation doesn't stop after you start a job, you know, like you keep having that conversation with yourself, with your, maybe your peers. Um, otherwise we can totally, uh, neglect those, um, needs and that can be very dangerous, I think. So I just want to emphasize, like, I think we actually haven't really talked about this yet so far on the sessions we've had. This is a really important topic, and I'm, I'm grateful you brought it up. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say I definitely also experienced a little of that whiplash, I suppose, is what I would refer to it, of, you know, coming here and just experience, experiencing such a kind of 180 as far as, you know, culture and and how we're being treated by uh, our fellow colleagues I don't think, you know, my previous experiences are probably as bad as coming from Asian work culture. I mean, yeah, I guess I guess Silicon Valley work culture is not as bad, but I'm sure there's also ways in which it could perhaps be a little comparable. Yeah, was there ever any kind of unease on your part? Like, or did you just immediately come into working here at Informal and just kind of notice that oh, it's different here. And you just immediately kind of like spread your wings or was there any like, because for me, there was a little bit of getting used to it, right? Like certainly, you know, I, I I was also very used to having a manager who, you know, gave me a lot of direction and things like that. Um, and there's just a lot less of that here. And I know for me, at least for maybe the first few weeks, I would say even at times I still struggle with this, but like, you know, just not having as clear of direction and then just being like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this freedom? <laughs> yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think it took me at least six months before I slowly adjust to the work culture here. So, so, um, so yeah, the, the first time I feel more relaxed and more, um, more confident of the culture is, is after, after meeting with everyone physically at Berlin during the retreat. 
and also a week before or during the team meeting with VCRS. So and yeah, I think I think one of the important thing is that uh, this meeting face to face meeting they help improve trust because before days um, even though I started working informal even though I I heard about uh, a lot of these uh, good discussions and principles like it's, it's difficult when you can't see people then it's like um, you are just uh, st staring on the computer with without anyone around so so it's easy to um, maybe uh, think a bit too much so i think like the first face-to-face uh, -face meeting helps a lot uh, and give me uh, more confidence that um that the value we're talking about is not just about like a face value not just about like a company slogan but actually it's something that everyone also believes in so i think yeah, that that's when i yeah started to adapt to this and actually also before this uh, i was actually also had self-imposed some uh, some form of self-censorship so i actually wasn't there to um, write any posts publicly on the internet i didn't know how what kind of job i can find and i was always constantly worried about the potential employers opinions on my public posts so so yeah uh, so also after this uh after the meeting i started to tweet more it feels like like I, I also got the chance to like finally um, bring back myself, my true self, to express myself without constant worry about self-censorship or worry about the future. It's funny like how Twitter has become like the public square for the crypto community. Um, I read a statistic recently and apparently something like only like five to 10% of Americans use Twitter, like something pretty small. But for our ecosystem, it feels really large because um, so many people in our kind of community use it. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, I think Twitter can be a little bit of a echo chamber and a little, da not dangerous, but a little bit, um, hard to manage sometimes but honestly if you have good kind of engagement and like you know uh you have interesting discussions i've personally met people like like even a non-accounts on twitter that i've like met up with in real life so i i don't know i'm a big fan i'm sure <laughs> so that's cool so i have a question about twitter um you made a second account um monetary engineer um to kind of maybe focus some more of your like tweets and like kind of content on specific topics. Like, I, I'm curious, like what made you do that? Um, usually it's like, I know some people have like anonymous account and then like a, a public account with their like real name attached to it. But this is both of these accounts are attached to you. Uh, but one of them is your, your name and then another one is monetary engineer so cu i'm curious like what that decision yeah yeah so was actually. so actually like when, when i was uh reading more about blockchain um one of the things i was still uh, a bit hesitant on posting it on my main account because like over the years i built quite a lot of uh, audience from different areas like uh, especially in the computer science area and so one of the things is that um the the idea for blockchain is still not widely accepted yet. So there are a lot of different uh, 
different skepticism about blockchains. I didn't want to have these people to not subscribe to something that they don't want to hear or like make too, too much noise for them. So why I, I thought of is that I could create an org account and for people who are really interested in my topics, then, then they can follow my other accounts instead of like just uh, having uh, the same kind of having having the same audience receive all kinds of topics from me. So actually, yeah, that 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 was uh, the motivation. And I was actually thinking of like different kinds of names. So I I thought a little bit about like what uh, Twitter handle I would like to have. So originally. I, thought about some names that may be related to, to Cosmos and I tried to search for one. And I look like there are, there are some name of stars, for example, right? So, I, so I, I consider them actually, but when I consider them, look at them, it kind of feel too much like horoscope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that's why I didn't, didn't choose them. And then, and then I realized like, actually like I came out with this, uh, Name monetary engineer or monetary engineering. Um, so originally my plan was like to set up a website and write uh, some articles and blog posts about uh, money monetary systems and blockchains. So, but I haven't found the time to do so. At that time, I also already had the the Twitter handle for that. Then I was like, okay, why not? I just use that. <laughs> so that's how I ended up just using it for for my second Twitter. I'd be curious to hear a bit about your of your opinion on like so you know I think in the in the rust ecosystem at least from what I've seen you know the the skepticism about blockchain is pretty high yeah like it kind of seems like it almost your opinion on on blockchain like kind of puts you in one of two camps like there is this whole kind of camp that you know of the rust ecosystem that is very involved with blockchain and things like that, right? And and then you have kind of like everyone else who, I guess by default, they just relegate themselves to being like, we're not interested in that stuff. Or, or I've even seen some people who just have very strong opinions against blockchain um, being like, if you work at a blockchain company, I don't want to associate with you, you know, things like that, which I, I don't know, it kind of makes me sad a little bit um to to see the community kind of segmented like this because it's funny also because you have like the i guess i'd call it like the default rust newsletter this week in rust which you know kind of like weekly you know goings on in the rust community and but then you have a whole other newsletter which is totally separate called rust and blockchain and and just kind of reading between the lines i just kind of felt like the, the fact that that separate newsletter came into existence just kind of, again, just speaks to the segmentation in the ecosystem. And I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, what are your thoughts about being in that or just kind of seeing that? Yeah, so I think one of the main challenge and also I think it also goes back to why I came into the blockchain space so late was actually also because like there was not there's actually not many explanation good explanation on um how a blockchain works especially on the technical side like like um yes as i go into as i learn more about cosmos there are 
like even in Cosmos, there are still so many things that are kind of undocumented and you kind of have to uh, dig really deep into it or like uh, have someone helps you around to understand those these concepts. So, so in a way, I think um, it, it's difficult to convince people if you do not have good resource around this. And like, um, for example, for me, like before, before I joined Informal, like uh, I took uh, quite a lot of initiative to learn about blockchain. I consider my skills, myself to be rather technically knowledgeable, but even so, I still uh, found it rather difficult to uh, find good resources to explain about um, what blockchain really is and the actual use case. So actually, one of the ideas I have was to write some kind of uh, MD book online that titled something like building a blockchain from scratch using Rust. Mm -hmm. So actually, that's one of the, my idea for my website. So I registered a website called uh, monetaryengineering.xyz. So so there's nothing there yet. So it just point to my other website. But, but yeah, one of my ideas is that to explain each concept of blockchain from a technical perspective from the basic, right? So, so, and, and my idea was also that we, we should explain it and also teach about programming, hopefully, because I also love functional programming. So my idea is like just to teach both blockchain and functional programming and Rust at the same time, step-by-step step, and also like uh, explain the, not only the technology, but also the use case, because like even the, uh, I think like more important than just the technology how what blockchain can really be used for and that is also something that uh, is uh, missing a lot because like if you look at um, a lot of the anti-blockchain sentiment is also about the lack of use case people don't know about all these um, very interesting use cases that are coming up especially in cosmos you have like akash dvpn and all these other projects yeah, they deserve to be explained to be in a more technical level so that the technical users, they can also understand them. Yeah, I, I agree that as far as use cases are concerned, I think most people just see the, the monetary use cases of blockchain and how, you know, I think that's what the mainstream media portrays it to be, which is just, it's just the new playground for finance, yeah. right? And so that brings with it all of the negative connotations around around finance and things like that. And, and definitely, I think, you know, that does run counter to a lot of, you know, the values and sentiments of, of the average person in the Rust community. So I can kind of see that as well. But um, I also wanted to say uh, I love that idea for, for the tutorial series. If you want to write that, I, I would uh, love to help help you work on it. Yeah, certainly. I uh, yeah, I just need to find the time. <laughs> uh, there was also a pretty good critique of this ecosystem or the technology from Moxie. Did, did you guys read that by any chance? Uh, Moxie, the like one of the core developers, founders of Signal, I guess. Um, yeah, he, he, he had some pretty good critiques. Um, like it was very balanced. Um, and I, I think we're actually missing that because I think like if there's more balanced critiques in the ecosystem, then maybe Rust developers or these skeptics in general will feel like they're willing to engage more with these critiques versus like this polarized narrative of blockchains are going to change everything and it's going to be 
magical and decentralized and community governed or like, no, blockchains are going to be used to perpetuate the current exploitative financial system and nothing in between. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I also think it's important to have those balanced um, conversations more often. And I, I really appreciated Moxie's critiques. Like he talked a lot about the centralized like APIs that a lot of these um, platforms rely on, like um, OpenSea, for example, he like uh, made an NFT and like kind of launched it just to, you know, on OpenSea, like um, to kind of go through the flow and, Anyways, it, it's it's complicated, useful discussions to have all the time, I think. Where would you guys say you're on the spectrum of true believer and like true naysayer or like true? Uh... <laughs> I think I'm like probably like, okay, if it's a spectrum of like zero to 100, zero is like, no, this is like awful technology, like whatever. Uh, going to ruin everything to um true believer like this is gonna like make everything better and like it's a utopia whatever it's a panacea for all our problems i would say i'm probably like 60 65 like on the spectrum you know but i'm i'm like still close to 50 in that like hey it could go either way you know like do you you guys like sorry i'm putting you on the spot but where are you on the spectrum (laughs) zero to hundred yeah, so I, I guess I'm more on the true believer, like maybe 80, 90, but, but. Oh, wow. I love it. But, yeah, <laughs> so, but, but I think like my, my, my sense of true believer is probably different from many others. So it's like, probably I think like the things I believe in probably is different from many. So it's like, maybe, maybe the kind of future I ambition was like, for many blockchain folks, they'll be like, this is not what I envision and I hate this. But for me, it's like maybe, like I would say, like this. What I think it is going to be. So yeah, I think everyone's perspective on what the actual future will be will also be different. So, and of course, I don't think that um, blockchain itself alone would solve everything. So I think like I think in the future it will be more like a hybrid. So that there'll be like a mix of centralization and decentralization, and there'll be like a lot of the complex systems working together and we are still very far away from that. I would say I'm probably 30, 40 at most. <laughs> uh, and, and before I joined here, even I was probably like 15 then at most, maybe even 10, I don't know. Because my foray into this was being a lot more kind of embedded in that camp of, of like the Rust ecosystem that was very much like not bought into blockchain and crypto. So that was kind of mostly what I was seeing. And I saw a lot of that sentiment and was not receiving like a balanced view of it myself. So it was just kind of easy to buy into that. When I joined here at Informal, it was very much like, there's a lot of good things here that I'm sensing from, you know, from interviewing, from talking to the folks who work here. They just happen to work on blockchain. You know, that's like, okay, fine, whatever. Like I'll I'll bite that bullet, I guess, was kind of like what I was thinking when I when I joined. And and definitely, you know, as as time has gone on, I think I am receiving, you know, a more balanced diet as far as, you know, information about the use cases of blockchain and and things like that. And there is a lot still some of that negative sentiment in me. I I still do see a lot of 
the the financial use cases and the the negative financial connotations because again that is mostly what you hear about in like mainstream media but yeah but at the same time you know just because you work in blockchain you know obviously that doesn't mean you're like that right like i th- i think informal is is special in that way in that you know we have folks who are pretty bought into it we have folks who are very skeptical of it at the same time and you know that doesn't mean you can't work here and that you can't be respected by everyone else who works here and i that that is one thing I've, i i love a lot about about the culture here I, I think it's very easy to look at the blockchain space and just be like oh everyone who works in blockchain must you know we can stereotype in this way and i think you know informal kind of feels like you know, this, this, or maybe I should say the Cosmos ecosystem. I'm not really sure, but like, it just kind of feels a little bit like an island amidst that, whatever, that storm, I suppose. Yeah. So I think like one thing that could help was that maybe we could also organize some blockchain education session to also educate about uh, what, what kind of use cases do blockchain have? Um, I think that will certainly help because like, um, for me, understand most part of Cosmos only quite recently, like, um, around February, it actually requires me to dig around like a lot of these, uh, websites and discussions and also maybe read between the lines to actually understand what each Cosmos project really do, because like, um, I think a lot of these are very potentially, uh, potentially going to be very big. Cosmos projects, um, they they also don't really um, explain well on what, how the actual use case is going to be. So you kind of also have to read quite a lot and connect the dots to understand that. So I think like having a education sharing session would help to learning better. Okay, so to, to switch gears, in fact, on the, the, the notes that I shared with Soares, one of the points I had on there was, uh, you know, things you learn from your PhD that you're bringing over to, to your work here at Informal. And first thing Soros tells me is I don't have a PhD. I was like, what? Uh, I don't know where I, I don't remember where I got that impression. I think it kind of just seems like you are very much in doing a lot of like interesting research things, Soros, as far as, you know, functional programming and type theory are concerned that I just kind of assumed you had a PhD in those topics because otherwise i was like well how, you know how could you be so well versed in this kind of stuff so maybe that's a, an assumption i need to check but um yeah like how did you because you do you do do research on this stuff i've uh at least seen one research paper on like session types floating around that you at least helped co-author so like how did you kind of get into you know doing research like that yeah, so so actually, like I I was uh, actually aspired to get a PhD, but uh, for many reasons I didn't have. So actually, like um, my interest in functional programming actually gone go back to around two thousand fifteen. So at that time, my main language was actually JavaScript. So, wow. So and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 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 and and, and actually quite like like quite a lot and before that I actually also programmed in many other languages but at that time um, my main language was JavaScript and it was like I was using Node.js and it was in the early days like they were still using callbacks and there was like callback hell and promises was still a new concept I was using it and I was quite happy with it 
by the same time, I also learn about Haskell. So as I write more about my JavaScript code, I, I, I eventually realized that I was actually writing Haskell code in JavaScript. And that's just pure script, right? <laughs> well, not actually, because like TypeScript is not fully functional as well. So, so, so it's more of the kind of uh, Haskell typing discipline and more of this kind of uh, fun functional programming concepts. And so, yeah, and, and, and then I, I was, uh, I wanted to switch to Haskell, but there wasn't much opportunity. So, um, I took quite a lot of time to learn Haskell on my own, uh, while still working on JavaScript in my job. And then, uh, and then like, as I learned more about Haskell, I also came into, uh, learn about cat category theory. And then from there, I, I then learned about going to the rabbit hole and I, I learned about type theory. And, and so, so my original goal was like, I was just wanted to learn about Haskell, but eventually I found out about type theory and I was very interested in it. And so I was like, oh, this is uh, so interesting. And, and I wanted to get a PhD with it. And so I went to the Oregon Programming Language Summer School in 2018, I think. I went to OPOS. There, I, I asked about um, how I can get a PhD because I, I was uh, I only have an undergraduate and uh, I I was working in the industry and I don't know how to I can like go from there to a PhD. So I asked around and then it was at that time I I met my collaborator. So uh, she's Stephanie Bozer from CMU and and she. She got in touch with me and we started collaborating on a paper. So it's a paper called Ferrite. Uh, it's a session type DSL in Rust. And yeah, we have been working for on it for three years and with many field submissions. <laughs> right now, right now I just submitted it another time and and, and wait for it's current under review. That was uh, how it goes and how I got into this programming language research. And then I, um, I think three years ago, I was actually considered about applying for PhD after I moved to Germany, but for practical reasons, like you have to have other considerations and, and it, it was not practical for me to get a PhD at that time. So that's why I'm still in the industry until now. Are you still thinking you're going to do it in the future or? Yeah. Yeah. So if, if one day I can retire, then. And one of my retirement plan is to, is to get a PhD. That's my plan. Yeah. Uh, wait till kids are off out of the house in college. You know, money is not <laughs> as much of an issue anymore. And I could, we could survive off of, you know, being, yeah, yeah. just getting like a measly PhD stipend. Like that's, that's what it would make the most sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> how would you, how would you say, you know, does your research come into play here with what you work on IBC RS team? You do a lot of, uh, you work a lot on on the testing frameworks that we use, um, which you know leverages a lot of type theory, and and I imagine that has a lot to do with you know your background and the stuff that you've kind of picked up over the years. Um, is that is that kind of the case? Um, I would say like right now I don't apply much of my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's maybe like ten percent of my knowledge. So, wow. Yeah, so 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 I think like the 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 gap between like research and practice is still quite far, and um, mm. a, a lot of time it, it goes down to learning curve, and and so yeah, 
and but it, it does help a lot like like i think the reason why i'm able to like um write the programs in the way i write today is a lot is thanks to like learning haskell and also learning tech theory and and they kind of give allows you to think about programs differently so so uh, yeah i'm i'm still uh so i want i'm still looking forward to like apply more of my knowledge and skills in the area of uh this cosmos so like maybe in the future like from both um yeah one of my ideas also to um, implement the cosmos sdk in rust oh okay and, yeah, and if i have the opportunity to do that then I, i'll be able to use more techniques especially like in terms of this uh ensuring correctness because like one of the strength for this uh type theory or this uh type driven development is that you can actually um build these uh blockchain applications that are so-called uh, correct by construction which means that um if you if you define your types well then it means that once your compile program compiles then then your invariants are satisfied so those are something that I look forward to work on in the future. Yeah, that also sounds really interesting. I mean, I'm I I have just, you know, enjoyed so far with my time here just kind of picking little things up through osmosis, just kind of like being in this in the vicinity of like the kind of of stuff you're working on. I mean, it's obviously picking it up very slowly, but um cuz this is always stuff that I figure. I think I also always had a passing interest in type theory and programming languages and things like that. And I've also tried on a number of times to to get into Haskell, but I think I'm just I don't know. Perhaps not a particularly disciplined person. Um, so that kind of like it's always been very slow going. So you know, it is it is nice that you know the, the stuff you're doing is is kind of rekindling a lot of those interests for me a little bit. So uh, that's awesome. Kind of one last question on this topic that I wanted to actually ask your opinion about is uh, Rust versus Haskell. Are there things you like about, how should I say this? I guess just, you know, what are the pros and cons of Rust versus Haskell in, in your mind? You know, like it, it does kind of sound like you perhaps still prefer Haskell to Rust, but I don't know. Is that the case? Yeah. Yeah. So I think like um, one thing I like about both Rust and Haskell is that they, they support this uh, functional programming paradigm and they, they also support a lot of the advanced constructs as in in the in this type level programming. Um, in terms of this uh implementation, the Haskell is still uh have more advanced features than Rust, especially in this uh type level programming area and dependent types. Um, but Rust Rust is slow slowly catching up, and they are also um as compared to other languages, um Rust actually has quite uh, a lot of features they are considered advanced so that's that's what I, that's why i think it's exciting and then i think like um the other advantage for rust from a technical perspective is that um rust is much younger so rust was uh, much younger released much later than haskell and for haskell i think it released sometime before 2000 and because of that there are actually a lot of legacy technical baggage especially in the way Haskell handles IO and errors and, and those uh, technical depths because they are so long ago, it's also very difficult to correct. On the other hand, in Rust, you have uh, these uh, concepts like the drop trade, 
that allows you to free up resources automatically. And also Rust have um, also its own uh, features like the affine types and reference that allows you to write programs that are running very fast, programs that are performant. So, so yeah, those are the technical comparison. And I think like uh, from non-technical side, like the biggest uh, advantage for Rust over Haskell is the career opportunities. Mm, yeah. Because like one of the main reason I, I left Haskell was also because like there's just not many opportunities in Haskell. Like even, even if you have uh, a lot of knowledge, like it feels like um, no matter how much skills and knowledge you have, um, as long as you are not at the top position, then the life is still pretty difficult. Would you jump at a, a Haskell opportunity if one was offered to you? Like, do you, do you, is the delta between Haskell and Rust in your mind like big enough that you would do that? Well, right now I'm pretty happy with Informer and I'm also pretty happy with Rust. So, so, so I don't have any um, thoughts about um, going back to Haskell, but like, I think maybe in the future, like if I ever change job, I would still consider Haskell, but, um, but at the same time, I also, um, I think the situation is also that, um, I wouldn't count on getting a Haskell job in the future. So, so I would, I would consider it as a bonus if I can find a Haskell job in the future, but otherwise, um, I, my, I think a more realistic expectation is still that, um, even, even if I find a job in future, it will still likely be Rust simply because of the way the, the job market. Sorry, Yelena, we've been talking. No, <laughs> uh, you want to go ahead and handle the closing questions? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, first, uh, you know, sorry, thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Um, I think, you know, the kind of the intention of this podcast is, you know, a little twofold. One is getting a chance for other informal, you know, worker members to get to know, uh, each other, because obviously we live in a, or we work in a remote first environment. Um, unfortunately I would prefer if we were in one office, but that's not realistic. And secondly, also a chance for, for you to kind of share, like, kind of like what you're interested in and what, what, what you care about and like develop some of that, um, you know, that communications, I think it's, it's, it's very useful. Um, but to conclude, um, we have a fun question, which is, um, what fictional world would you most like to visit? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there are a lot of fic fictional stories that I like, but um, most of my fic favorite fictional stories, they are the world they are in are quite cruel. So, so I wouldn't want to be in there, or else I would die pretty quickly. <laughs> so I guess like yeah, you have to live there. You have to live there. You know. Like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess like a more more practical kind of fictional world maybe will involve um just a normal world with. Uh, that includes time travel, probably. Yeah. So, so I think like, yeah. Like Inception. I don't know, like, like something that maybe like allows me to go back in time and correct my past mistakes or things that I miss. So I think those would be nice or, or maybe like, uh, a, a world where I start in a time loop, some of the stories. So it's like, I live the same day over and over and again. You'd like that. <laughs> I mean, like. 
And I, in that case, I'll kind of like have infinite time myself. Then I can just, I can just use those time, like this infinite time to learn everything I want, I guess. So what I'm, what I'm getting here is you want to live forever, basically. And, and just take that opportunity to like make craft your perfect life. Not, not really. I mean, I mean, I, I, I think, I think it's, it's fine for, to, for it to end, but I think like, it's more like, I think like if there's opportunity, I would like to better use my time to, to learn about the things that I really want to learn because like, from it's also because like my aspiration for getting a PhD, right? Because I think like there are so many things that I would like to learn today, but I cannot. So, and, and, and I think like, even if I have the opportunity, like with such a limited time, like it's, it's difficult to just learn everything I like. So, so yeah, if there's a fictional world that give me more time, then I would love to have one. Um, actually one of the, the books that reminds me of this is, uh, one of, one of our favorite books is called the time traveler's wife. One of the main characters is a guy who actually like he has the ability to time travel, but he cannot um, control it. It's like a chronic illness of his. Uh-huh. So he actually like goes backwards and forwards in time. Like, you know, he doesn't know when it's going to happen. And when it, when it does happen, you know, he doesn't bring anything with him. It's just, you know, his naked body gets mm-hmm. transported into the, either the past or the future. And he's had to like learn how to scrounge things together, you know, and like pickpocket and pick locks and things like that. Because, you know, when that happens, he has to survive obviously. And he gets married to 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 this what to this girl and you know she has to 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 live with that and you know when he disappears she's like is he gonna go die like you know and and if he died like she wouldn't even know yeah right so i don't know that's got that's what it reminded me of what you're talking about but i don't think that's what you mean yeah no, maybe not that kind <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um so the last uh question we asked this is uh uh, so we, we're, we're starting to do this thing where we uh, play ping pong and uh, we get get guests uh, on the podcast to like nominate, I guess, like the next guest for the next podcast. So sorry, as who uh, would you like to suggest um, we talk to for the, for the next episode? Who are you nominating? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you can uh, you can ask Sean Feather. OK, that's it. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much, Suarez. This was a super fun conversation. Uh, I think we talked about a lot of things I've been meaning to to pick your brain about for a while. So this was awesome. Yeah. Glad talking with you. And thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Thanks so much for uh, making a podcast. Uh, And thanks so much, Yelena, for co-hosting with me. It's always a pleasure. Um, But yeah, until then, uh, we'll see you all in the next episode. So yeah, Yeah. thanks, everybody. See you. Thank you. Bye.